Basically, sloths are like their own little ecosystem. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome to the podcast that's going to help you slow it down in the midst of all the end of your craziness, because we're talking about a sloth today, the Raw Safari Podcast. Y'all, I am currently gigging in Delaware, and part of that means that I'm staying at home outside of Philadelphia, where I live, and it is wonderful being home, and I have Lexi the puppy with me, and things are good. It also means that I am today able to bring you an interview from my home zoo. That's right, y'all. We're back at Elmwood Park Zoo, and I am bringing you an interview with Kara Kulak, who is a keeper and trainer at the zoo. And Kara is going to be telling you all about some new animals at the zoo, including Liana the sloth, Hank the red-footed tortoise, and so many birds that are going to be living at a new exhibit opening soon. You'll get to hear all about that exhibit, and uh, at the end you'll even get to hear some audio of me hanging out in the exhibit. You won't hear a whole lot of audio from the, uh, the sloth, because... sloth. But you will hear some birds, and you'll hear Kara talking about the space, and it's, it's, it's a pretty cool time. I'm excited to share this one with y'all. I'm also excited because this is the last interview episode of the year 2021. I am taking the next two weeks not off. There will still be Zoo News, and there will still be Tuesday episodes with new material that you have not heard all of or most of yet. Um, these aren't going to be like Raw Safari Revisiteds or anything. This this will be new content for you, but uh, they aren't going to be interviews, and it's going to help me stay sane during the end-of-year craziness. Well, as sane as I get, anyway. The cool news is I am working on a bunch of cool stuff for 2022. Already have my first interview recorded, and it is something different than you've heard before. And I've been talking to lots of people at lots of places. Lots of cool things look like they're coming together, and I'm going to knock on wood and not jinx it by saying anything else. Well, nothing else about that. Anyway, this is a podcast. It would be weird if I just stopped talking. It would sound like this. And no one wants to listen to that. So, uh, yeah. Quick reminder, if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe so that you get every new episode as soon as it comes out. Also, if you'd consider supporting the podcast, you can do so by hitting patreon.com slash rossafari. It always helps when uh, we get a little financial support, makes the travel to bring you some of these live interviews a little bit easier for me and, and pays for the website and the hosting of the podcast. Um, and also check out rossafari.com. There's, there's, it's a website, y'all. And make sure that you're uh, following along at rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and at rossafari pod on TikTok. All right, so here is an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? 
Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. And here is an interview with Kara Kulak of Elmwood Park Zoo. All right, so why don't we start off by you telling me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. Sounds good. Uh, my name is Kara Kulak. I am one of the educational zookeepers here at Elmwood Park Zoo, located in Norristown, Pennsylvania. Uh, and I primarily uh, take care of a variety of species of animals, but I'm also on the aspect of educating the public about them as well. Uh, so a little bit of everything there. Absolutely. And so are we talking ambassador animals or are we talking exhibit animals or a mix or? So it's actually going to be a mix. Um, so we do have some ambassador animals under my care. Uh, including a few of our parrots, uh, like the blue and gold macaw, Azul, um, our yellow-crowned Amazon, Rex, and our newest addition, her name is Liana. She is a Linnaeus two-toed sloth. She's delightful and very sassy. <laughs> um, and then our ambassador animal, Hank, he's a red-footed tortoise. Um, the rest of the animals are on, on exhibit are mostly just exhibit animals because they're, they're never going to be really leaving their location they basically just stay on exhibit. Um, so that's going to be a flock of scarlet ibis, um, a pair of black-bellied whistling ducks, and then two pairs of Brazilian teal ducks, and a pair of sun bitterns. Oh, huh? and a pair of plush-crested jays. Oh, very cool. So um, I'm noticing a lot of birds. And and I, I noticed that your face gets all scrunchy when I say birds and happy. So I think scrunchy is the proper word. So um, are you are you an official bird nerd? I am a crazy bird lady. Um, okay. Never thought I would be one. Um, it's actually really funny. Before I got started with all of these birds, I very specifically told myself I wasn't going to end up as a crazy bird lady. <laughs> Yet here I am. I now own a few pairs of binoculars that I keep at my house that I'm always staring outside with. Um, but yes, uh, I primarily take care of birds. But it was really exciting when I found out that I was going to get to add a little bit of variety uh, to my species list, which would include our sloth and the red-footed tortoise. Yes, yes. And I know that you're quite in love with your, your tortoise. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about these animals <laughs> in more detail. This is just a good, uh, good primer for where we're going. Um, but I, I like to start off by, by talking about you a little bit. So um, how did you get here? What made you want to be a keeper? When did you think, hey, this is what I want to do? Tell me, tell me things. Cool. Um, so I've always loved animals growing up. Um, I feel like that's pretty traditional for most kids, though. Um, and I guess growing up, I never really thought I could make a career out of it, uh, mostly because 
Um, I wasn't super interested in the guts and glory part of it. Like I, I have so much respect for vet techs and veterinarians, uh, but I don't think I could personally handle a career like that. Uh, so I basically out of high school, I did the typical work at a few different restaurants, couple different bars. Um, and then down the line, I got a little bit bored with the whole nighttime shift thing. I was not getting enough sleep. So I decided that I needed a little bit of a change. Uh, so I wasn't looking for anything in particular, but I just happened to come across, uh, my one friend was looking to board his dog at a doggy daycare facility. Uh, so he asked me to go with him to check the place out cause he knew I was very familiar with canine care. Uh, so I went with him and I immediately was like, wow, like, wow moment. This is what I want to do. I want to work with animals. Why have I not thought about this? <laughs> and this place, funny enough, was actually a block away from my house. Uh, and it had been for my entire life. And I had no idea that it was there because I never looked. Uh, so I applied, got a job, and worked there for a couple years, working with all canine species, and then uh, switched to another doggy daycare boarding facility, got a little bit more experience there, including a little bit of canine training, uh, and then my best friend at the time uh, had come across to me about wanting to go to school for animal center management. Uh, so it's a very broad program that's held at Harkham College in Bryn Mawr, uh, and it's it's not specific. So what I mean by that is instead of it being a school specifically for, for vet tech or specifically for lab research, it was a little bit more broad, and it's for people who know they want to work with animals. They know that they want to learn the business aspect as well, but they're not quite sure exactly where they want to go with it. Uh, so myself and my friend decided to go to college together, which made it way easier considering I was a late bloomer for college. Uh, so I didn't start college until I was 26 years old, and I was definitely very afraid. Uh, it was very intimidating going to school with a bunch of, uh, younger folk. Uh, so I definitely had a little bit of a hard time at first, but I fell right into it and it was so much fun. And I loved all these different classes. So there was this one class in our first semester called animal behavior. And I never really knew how much came into like the behavior aspect of an animal. And that doesn't just mean it's in a good or a bad mood. Uh, so that was fascinating to me. And then uh, our school was taking us on different field trips to different aspects of animal carers. So we went on a field trip to a pet store and to a doggy daycare and to a vet clinic. And then lo and behold, we end up going, coming on a field trip here at Elmwood Park Zoo. Uh, so I imagine that that was a much more exciting uh, location than a <clears throat> pet store. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because uh, so, at the pet store, we were mostly just being shown different colors of ribbons that your dog could wear, which was still pretty interesting, but not nearly as much as here. Um, but yeah, so we we had a field trip here, and there was a presentation by the education department that I now work in. Uh, so two educators got up to talk, and I actually happened to recognize one of them. Uh, so she used to work at the old doggy daycare that I worked at previously, we got to chatting after the presentation and she just seemed so happy and I could see the joy in her face about her talking about her career. And I've never had that. Like I loved working with the dogs, but it was mostly, I was excited to talk about them individually because I loved them individually. Right. Right. 
but not the career necessarily. And I just saw her face light up and I was like, wow, I want to feel like that. And she told me about the internship here. So got home, immediately applied for the internship. And two months later started uh, the animal keeper internship here. So I was working with the keepers specifically. I basically felt right at home and I fell in love with the animals, the field, the whole reason behind we why we do everything. And it's not just about like the fun of taking care of animals. It goes so much deeper into that. And I guess I never really looked at it that way before. So this was like a, a door opening that I never knew was there. And I fell in love with it so quickly um, to the point where I was going home and all I wanted to do was sign up for more days of internship. Uh, however, I had an apartment and stuff at the time that I had to be able to afford, so that wouldn't work for me. <laughs> so I finally uh, started digging into looking for open positions, and it just so happened that right when my internship was ending, there was a position opening up in um, the interactive keeper. Uh, so that would be in education, and basically their job was to do the interactive giraffe feeds, the bison feeds, and work on the old Birds of Paradise exhibit where they would do parrot feedings with the public. And so that's what weaseled me into my way <laughs> of uh, falling in love with birds primarily. But uh, that's definitely, that was the time in my life where I was like, this is the change I need because I was going home. My cheeks would hurt from how much I was smiling. Uh, people would make fun of me because they were like, uh, it's not normal to come home looking that happy from work or leaving work that ha or like going to work that happy. Uh, so I kind of just little by little was like, so this is where I need to be. This is where I want to be. Um, and that's kind of how I got here. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I feel like, um, yeah, I feel like it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people that even like animals and like zoos and stuff don't really always realize all the cool stuff that goes on beyond, like you said, just playing with animals and, and, and shoveling poop. <laughs> um, and I, I, I always encourage on the podcast, you know, zoos, whether it be, be keepers that I'm talking to, or whenever I talk to a PR team or anything uh, to set stuff up, I always encourage them to make sure that they put some focus on that on social media and stuff. It's really, really cool to show another picture of your really adorable red panda it really is. But also maybe talk about how you donate to Red Panda Network or maybe also show the behind the scenes conservation work that you're doing so that people know that, you know, these are, are awesome places to go and hang out and see animals and, and say hi Slash and love him so much that you put pictures of him on your socks as I am oh showing you right now. Yeah, I love Slash. Um, Dedication. But yes. It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. Mm. For those of you who are new to the podcast or just can't tell from context because there aren't many animals whose socks I would wear, um, Slash is the red panda that lives at Elmwood Park Zoo. He is a really special panda. He has survived a disease that, uh, to our knowledge, no other pandas have survived, uh, including his siblings who, who died from it early on. And um, it gives him a walk that is really because of the neurological disease officially, but unofficially, we all know that it's just that he struts. Slash is shy and 
introverted, but also kind of not that at times. Uh, he definitely likes women more than men and a lot of guys he won't interact with at all. I am one of the few that in my interactions with him, um, he will take food from me and hang out with me and uh, has even played with me a little bit. Is, we kind of messed with a ball that made noises and he didn't ditch me. So um, yeah, that's pretty high praise from Slash. So I just love Slashy Slash so much. Also, every time that I do a um, a URL, write one out now, and it has a slash in it, I, I picture his little face because I'm a nerd. Okay, uh, back to the interview. But there is there is uh, there is just so much more that goes on at zoos, and I think that if more people knew that, maybe maybe more people would want to work at zoos. And yeah, but uh, that's awesome. That's such a cool path that you took. And um, I love that, it, it, like you said, how the, the first place with the doggy daycare, you're just like, yeah, it was a block from my house. And no clue. That's just, <laughs> it's awesome when you stumble into your thing. I know. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, so you you mentioned something to me that um, I, I, I'm curious about here. Uh, before we started recording, you were talking about the fact that you are singing in a band. And um, obviously, I'm very passionate about music, as it is what I do for a living. But beyond that, I, I'm, I'm really curious because I know something that I struggle with doing this podcast is zookeeper hours. <laughs> when I, I mean, I'm here recording you at 10 o'clock in the morning, and this is the only time I have seen 10 o'clock in the morning <laughs> in a very long time. This is not and, – and 10 is late for y'all. You're like, oh, yeah, this is – you know, you've been here for hours, I'm guessing <laughs> – um, how do you reconcile the two and how do you play in a bar band, which I know gigs can go till one, two o'clock in the morning. And then if you're a good singer, you help your band break down their equipment <clears throat> and, uh, you know, especially your, your drummer, they need all the help they can get. And, um, yeah. So how do you reconcile kind of the nightlife with the ridiculous hours of zookeeping? Uh, so luckily, uh, a lot of my bandmates are also a little bit older in age. Uh, so <laughs> they also require plenty of rest. Uh, so by no means. Wow. This sounds like a really <laughs> rocking show. <laughs> by no means. Um, are we out regularly? Like we maybe perform once a month, small bars here and there. Um, I'm, I'm new to it, so it hasn't quite hit me yet the the scope of how tired this could make me uh so i'm sure i'll figure that out in the next few months um i'm sure but uh for now really the reason that i'm able to kind of handle both is i'm an early riser i kind of always have been at least since back when i used to deliver newspapers uh, so i naturally wake up early um but also i i very much enjoy like a glimpse of nightlife here and there now i i like to go to bed at eight o'clock so <laughs> So don't don't quote me on the whole like nightlife thing for for sure. But uh, I think the reason I'm able to handle it a little bit more is because I really do enjoy both things. If if it was like I was coming to work at seven o'clock in the morning and it was a job that I wasn't super happy with, uh, then, of course, I would have a little bit more fun doing the the performances than work itself. But luckily for me, I kind of enjoy doing both things. So it's not necessarily a struggle if you really enjoy it, I guess. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Um, my Part of my history was when I was like doing bar bands and playing sometimes three, four, five nights a week, um, but still couldn't make a living off of it. And so was also working at the state uh, for 
a job for, you know, 40 hours a week, um, starting at six 30 in the morning. Um, but I hate, I hated my job and all I wanted to do was play. And I, I remember at one point I was just kind of sitting and staring at my computer and was like zoned out. I had been doing a show the night before and whatever. And my boss came up to me and he was like, do you want this job? And I was like, no. And he was like, wait, what? And I, I, it was hilarious. He was so taken aback. I was like, no, I'm a musician and I just haven't gotten there yet, but no, I don't care about this job. I don't want this job. And he was like, We should probably talk about that. And I'm like, no, no, it's it's cool. I'm it's it's fine. I'm here. I'm doing the thing, kind of. And weirdly, that boss did not did not love me. I don't know why, but he oh, just I wonder wasn't a big fan. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yes. So, um, getting back to the zoo world a little bit more, let's talk about the new exhibit because there's a new exhibit here. It's yeah. not even open as we're recording this. Do we know when it's going to open? Uh. I mean, typical zoo field fashion, we like to have ideas um, about when things are going to open or timelines in general, but they don't usually always work out that way. Uh, We are definitely hoping to have it open um, after the holiday season, though. Uh, So we're we're holding off right now just because most of our animals are kind of still getting used to each other a little bit, getting used to their daily routine with us. Uh, So... They're, they're getting a lot um, more comfortable, and it's really rewarding to see, but that does mean that the opening date should be should be upon us, for sure. That, that makes sense. I like how you, you can be very vague by saying the holiday season, though, because then you can be like, no, yeah, I meant, I meant after Thanksgiving. No, I meant after Hanukkah. No, I meant after Christmas. No, I meant after President's Day. No, I meant after Flag Day, uh, Independence Day. You could just go forever. We have lots of holidays. That was I mean, was all I said was after. I didn't give a timeline to when. <laughs> Valid. But so let's talk about it. What is, what is the name of the exhibit? And, and tell me about some of the, the stuff going in there. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, the exhibit's name, it's called Harmony Hideaway. That's adorable. Uh, Nice little ring to it. Uh, It's very cute. Uh, But so Harmony Hideaway is going to be a little similar to the old Birds of Paradise exhibit, meaning that you can walk through it. So it is an exhibit that you can get up close and personal to the animals and you're you're in their habitat with them. Uh, But it's going to be a little bit different because before where we had the bird feedings, uh, now, or the parrot feeding, sorry. Uh, now we're going to have... Parrots birds. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> Correct. Um, now it's going to be um, a little bit different. Now, I can't exactly tell you what that's going to be yet, and that's mostly because we're still learning as we go. Uh, we can have ideas, and we can try to make them happen. However, like I said before, in traditional zoo fashion, <laughs> it's not always going to play out exactly like planned because... It depends on the animals and what they want to do, what they're comfortable with. Uh, So the hope is down the line we will get some more interactive experiences inside of that exhibit like we used to. They're just not going to be the same. They're going to be very different. Um, Now, it's going to be really exciting because you're going to have a larger variety of species like I listed earlier. Um, So it's, it's definitely, there's a lot to look for when you're in there, especially because a couple of them are not super easy to see. So you kind of got to keep your eyes peeled and really look around. Uh, But it's really cool because you kind of get to see all these animals, um, pun intended, living in harmony. Um, So it's really cool because you get to see the whole natural aspect of different species living together. Uh, So, I mean, I'm sure to start out, it's going to be fairly simple. It's going to be people get to come in, ask questions, look around, 
check out our animals. Uh, but as the the year passes and as our animals grow up a little bit more and and get a little bit more comfortable and get a little bit more brave, uh, we'll start to get to create experiences that will be super fun for guests to partake in. Yeah, makes sense. Um, is is it free flight at all for the for the birds? Yes. Okay. Uh, so there's one experience. People oh yeah. Can get pooped on. Oh yeah. No, don't worry. You will. Yeah. Uh, I always I get do pooped regularly. on in aviaries. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I get yeah. so much poop on me every day. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, but maybe that's why people are confused. Why you're smiling so much when you when you talk about your job? Maybe it's it's not that you just shouldn't be that happy at your job. Maybe it's just that they're concerned about how much you like getting pooped on. Ah, uh, but they say that it's good luck to get pooped on by birds. Dude, my grandmother told me that. <laughs> and one time, true story, we were in Atlantic City. And I got pooped on on the boardwalk, and she would not let me wash it off. It was, like, on my shirt, not, like, on my hair. Because we were going to play the slots, and she wanted oh, the good luck. I you kid go. you not. Yep. Oh, no. That's nanny. good. <laughs> See, now, I like to believe that's just what they tell me to make me feel better about getting pooped on. So there's that. Um, I don't mind it that bad. Uh, but, yeah, so it's a free flight exhibit. Now, not everybody in there is flying, obviously, uh, but the ones that are, they're a little bit larger in size, so they're pretty cool to watch when they're flying around. Wow. Um, and then we've got plenty of sounds going on because we've got some that honk, some that whistle, some that do little screeching sounds. Um, and then the sun bitterns, for example, make this really cool velociraptor sound. Now, I'm probably overplaying it a little bit because um, they're they're small birds, but it, it is pretty cool to hear them um, at dawn and dusk. Sometimes they let out these little little screams that sound like velociraptors, and it's just nice. them checking out their area. Uh, but yeah, so free flighted, and there's a big pond in the middle that you can see our duckies swimming around in, um, and Hank the tortoise will be kind of just like mostly hiding in the different plants as typical tortoise fashion. Uh, or he'll just be walking around trying to eat everything, which is also very typical for him. So let's talk about Hank. Yes. Because you gave me an awesome opportunity when I was here with Zoe and Miles recently, and you brought Hank out to say hello. And um, that that was really cool. That was really cool. Um, that was the first time Miles got like a special treat at a zoo hmm. where like an ambassador animal came out and he got to interact with it. And, um, th he has talked about that moment ever since I kid you not. Uh, that was a big moment for him. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John. Mm. So as I mentioned, that was a very big moment for miles. And, um, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot on this podcast and try to share with y'all is the impact that keepers have on the people that they touch, especially children. It comes up a lot. And uh, I wanted to illustrate that a little bit further. So um, I did a quick mini interview with Miles about meeting Kara. Here's what he had to say. So tell me who you are. My name is Miles Rafi. And, and how, how do I know you? Because you're my dad. Oh, right. I forgot. <laughs> okay, cool. So today's episode was an interview with Kara Kulak at Elmwood Park Zoo. And uh, you met Kara, right? Yes. All right. So tell me about the time that you met Kara. Okay. So she was really, really nice. And she was nice enough to 
bring out a tortoise that we could all see together. He crawled through my legs about two times, Zoe's legs about nine times. <laughs> he did really like Zoe. Yeah, he did. And um, yeah, so was that was that a special time for you, getting to meet an animal and, and one that wasn't even on exhibit? Sure, maybe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a goober. Yeah, but that really meant a lot to you. You were really excited about that, right? Yep. And then today when we're recording this, where were we? We were at the zoo and met her in the zoo. Yep, and you got all excited when you saw her again, didn't you? Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> and does it make you feel special knowing that there was a zookeeper that wanted to introduce you to an animal and, and such? Yes. And did it make you feel close to that animal knowing that you got to have that special experience? Yes. Cool. Thanks, buddy. I love you. Love you. Now, back to the interview. So so tell me about Hank. All right. Uh, so Hank, my main squeeze. Uh, so Hank is 26 years old. He's a red-footed tortoise, uh, so he's pretty heckin' big. Um, I want to say, just for visual purposes, he's around like a foot and a half long by like maybe just shy of a foot wide. So he's a big boy. Uh, and he very much likes to take hot baths. Um, now, <laughs> I know. Same, Hank, same. Right? Does he also like bath bombs from Lush? Uh, not quite. Oh, okay. Because okay. I think he would just probably try to eat them, Fair. which is not super healthy. It's not? Uh, no. Oh, I should You're stop that. You're not supposed to eat them. Oh, whoops. Whoops. <laughs> nope. uh, but yeah, so uh, when I first started working with him, for example, uh, and once again, pun intended, it took a little bit to get him out of his shell. <laughs> Uh, but uh, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you fit in well on this podcast. Uh, anyway, I'm delighted. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so when he first came to us, he was a little bit nervous, a little bit shy. Uh, and so I spent quite a bit of quality time with him just sitting on the floor. Um, we learned that he was not a super big fan of just like room temperature water or even slightly warm water. He actually preferred it when it was a little bit hotter. Uh, so, okay, so I have to ask, how do you figure that out? It's not like he could tell you. So he climbs out very quickly oh. if it's not at his desired temperature. <laughs> um, also, he can kind of tell if it, the temperature is correct for him from a distance because if you put it down and it's cold, he won't actively get up and come towards it. But there are some times I put down like a hot pan of water and you'll see his, his head will perk up and he'll just like be trucking it real quickly <laughs> as a tortoise right over to that water pan. Um, so when he first came to us, I would draw him a hot bath and then <laughs> he was also not super great at eating his fruits and vegetables. Uh, so I would hand feed him his fruits and veggies in his hot bath. And that's how me and him became unbelievably close. <laughs> Hank might be my spirit animal. That's <laughs> impressive. I, I like that. Wow. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't necessarily know that you could be a uh, a diva as a tortoise. Oh, yep. That's impressive. Absolutely. He he knows how to draw attention, and that's for sure. Uh, he, he very much likes to be in the spotlight, and he also really likes back scratches. So, like, if there was any more that I could add on to what he desires in his day, hot baths, hand-fed fruit, and back scratches. Now, that's all it takes for a simple man like <laughs> That's all it takes for most simple men. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, and so he is he is an ambassador, mm -hmm. and and so you you brought him out and you were educating people. And like I said, he he ran all around and and um, well, 
that's probably a, a not the right word to use when talking about a tortoise, but he you scooted all around. <laughs> yeah, actually, that is true, though. I mean, for, for people listening who don't know this, turtles and tortoises are not nearly as slow as as the rumor goes. There are, there are some. I mean, I've never really seen an Aldabra or Galapagos tortoise haul, but beyond that, they can move, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. Um, but so, so tell me what it's like when you get to bring out this tortoise and, and introduce him to a miles or to other people and what, what their reaction is like and what that means to you. Awesome. So, uh, one of my favorite things about bringing him out is getting to explain to people the difference between turtles and tortoises. Cause most people, when they naturally see one come out, they automatically just think it's a turtle. Um, so that's one fun thing that I kind of get to educate people about and just by showing them the different parts of his body, specifically his feet. Uh, so he, he's got these squishy little feet that he, (laughs) he doesn't really mind too much when I, when I mess around with them. Uh, so every now and then when you see a kid come up and he's like, Oh, look at that really big turtle. That's my little bingo moment to, to jump in and try to teach the kid a little differently. So that way he can teach his friends. Um, but I'll specifically show him like the claws on his feet as opposed to turtles who have webbed feet um, and the the shape of the shell because uh, turtles typically are going to have flatter shells where tortoises are going to have a little bit more of a dome. Um, but aside from that, it's really fun just to get to teach people about these animals that they really don't know much about. Um, so with little kids, really my biggest thing other than showing them the difference between turtles and tortoises it's really fun to watch them light up when you see Hank doing his little booty dance when he gets his back scratches. It's adorable. Uh, so, like, we'll bring out this little blue scrub brush so that way they can they can scrub his shell. Because that's another thing is most people don't know that turtles and tortoises can feel that. Uh, they do have the the feeling back there. So it's really cool to get to watch them get super into it when you're scratching that area. Because Hank, he, he'll start, like, doing this, like, back and forth wiggle for like five minutes straight if he's enjoying it enough. And it's really cool because little kids get to see like little tortoise dance. And so that's pretty fun to watch for, for him specifically. Yeah, no, that's really awesome. And it's very important to educate people on the fact that turtles and tortoises, uh, their shells are, you know, part of them mm-hmm. and their spine and they're not hermit crabs. I was on a dating app once and was chatting with a, a potential female in my life. And, um, we were talking and uh, I mentioned that I love turtles and she was like, yeah, they're really cute, except for when they come out of their shell, then they look really weird. And she wasn't kidding. It wasn't a joke. And I was like, this isn't going to work. Oh my gosh, you're laughing so hard, but off mic, this is a podcast. You can laugh on mic. It's allowed. (laughs) Why does everybody dive away from the mic when I make a joke? I'm trying to be funny. It's okay to laugh. I promise. (laughs) Oh my God. But yeah, I was literally like, oh, I'm not, we're not. No, thank you. <laughs> I feel like I need to know what exactly it is that she saw because there's no way it was a turtle. Literally every time I tell this story, I, I think about that and I start to question it and I just, I, I don't know. And also, let's be honest, the closest thing to a turtle coming out of its shell, again, not that they can, mm-hmm. but if you think about it in terms of like what that would be, it's like just like a lizard. Yeah. Right? Like if you think that there is just a straight flat back that goes into the shell and a straight flat belly, then it's just a cute lizard with the big head, which would still be Pretty, Pretty cute. adorable, yeah, yeah. Like just squishier than usual. Yeah, yes, very squishy. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've I've often wondered about that myself. But yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, and Hank is just such a uh, 
a stud. great ambassador. He really is. Yeah. I mean, you fell hard. I did. I did. I remember when we were talking and I was like, so how's the new place and how are the new animals? And I expected to hear about the next animal we're going to talk about, your new sloth. Mm-hmm. And you were like, okay, so there's this tortoise. And I was like, oh my goodness, I totally get it. Because I love <laughs> I love turtles and tortoises and I think it's that. So yeah, I, I totally got it. But uh, I was very amused by that. Yeah. Yep. And so let's get to it though. Uh, there is a, a new sloth in the area and... Um, this was, before we actually talk about her, mm-hmm. talk about the process of, of getting her and how the whole zoo got the community behind it and stuff, because it was a whole thing. Yeah. Um, so this was a whole process. I remember hearing about us getting a sloth. Ooh, I want to say, I want to say when I was still a part-timer and that was just like whispers that I was hearing, <laughs> like the grand plan of it all. Um, and I... I knew that it was going to potentially happen in the future, but I had no idea how hard it is to to get these guys. Like, I don't know all the details behind getting them specifically because that's not really what, what I do. Um, but I do know that there was a whole lot of back and forth about getting, getting her or getting one in general, um, especially because like their environment specifically super specific because they can't control their body temperature and, stuff like that, but we wanted to have her in not just like an exhibit form. We wanted to have the option for people to get up close and personal and make that like connection with wildlife. And the biggest thing about sloths too is like people, most people misunderstand them kind of going back to what you said about how turtles and tortoises move slow just by nature. It's the same thing with sloths. Um, and yeah, they're very cute and adorable and cuddly, but like they're very solitary animals. So like, they don't necessarily want like love and affection and attention all the time. So getting a sloth is definitely a big to do because you need to make sure that you're following all of the specifications that are going to leave this animal with a happy and healthy life. And it's going to be stress-free and that that's a little trickier with a species like a sloth specifically. Um, so like I said, I don't know a whole lot about the process of getting her, um, but I can tell you it was definitely, it was a roller coaster of a ride uh, to get her here. Because um, I I feel like every time I heard about her, one day it would be like, oh, yeah, like it's definitely moving forward. And then two days later out here, oh, we're probably going to put it on the burners for a while. Like, and we'll hold off for a little bit. And then like another week later, oh, yeah, we're definitely going to do it. And I'm just <laughs> like, wow, this is a roller coaster of emotion. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to prepare myself for this. Um yeah, so getting her here, it was definitely, definitely tricky. Well, and then once it was officially decided that a sloth was coming, um, it was a whole campaign. Like, we were getting emails mm-hmm. saying, hey, you know, we're doing this thing and we're getting this animal and it's going to be really exciting. Give us money and help us with this. And, mm-hmm. and then once the sloth arrived, there was a naming contest. And... Um, it, it 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 was such a cool I, I think it's so interesting to see an animal be used for so much public interaction mm-hmm. before the animal is able to interact with the public. I know. I, I thought that was really interesting to see. Are a lot of people seeming to be really excited about this now? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh I thought maybe like a month or two after getting her that the questions about when do we get to see her were gonna start to dwindle a little bit. No. I was wrong. <laughs> I was very wrong. Uh, so I still get just as many questions now as I did back in the day. I say that like that was years ago. Um, but 
yeah, the the whole thing it was it's a lot of fun. Like like the naming contest that was a blast. Uh, How nervous were you that a name that you didn't like was going to be the one that wins? Oh, very nervous, very nervous. Uh, especially because there were a couple really cute ones on there that didn't necessarily apply to sloths, like specifically banana. Oh yeah, yeah. Sloths yeah. don't eat bananas, right, right? I mean, in in theory, they could if they found one, but it's like way too high in sugar for them. So something like that. Like I was like. Like, I know it's a really cute name, so little kids are going to pick it. But uh, the name that I had actually put on that list uh, was Vita for life. Um, But I'm actually really, really glad that it ended on Liana. Um, And a lot of people, just to clarify, confuse that name thinking it's for the Linnaeus two-toed sloth. It's actually not why she was named Liana in any form. Uh, The word Liana is a type of slow-growing plant that grows up in a tree. So nice. We found it very fitting, but also it's a very beautiful little lady name. Yeah, it really is. So, so yeah, definitely um, getting the attention from the public was super helpful as well. Um, It wasn't just because we wanted them to know she was coming. Sloths are not cheap. Like the exhibit that she's, she's living in now, the one that we are hoping to open someday after the holidays. um, (laughs) After flag day. Sometime after, maybe Labor Day. Um, uh, this this was a, a whole to do because we had to we were able to use the bones of the old exhibit, but it all had to be redone to become appropriate for her because sloths are just a not necessarily a, a tricky animal as in it's really hard to care for them, but they have a lot of specific requirements that they need. Uh, so definitely the help from the public really helped us get us here because every donation that was made from the t-shirts that were bought and and all of that kind of stuff like that helped get her here and get her into a happy, healthy environment, um, which was super cool to kind of see everyone from like locally and even further away who kind of fell in love with her without even meeting her. Like that was touching to see that, uh, seeing the emotion that people can get from an animal they've never met. They've only maybe seen a picture or two of her, seen her on Zoo School Live uh, so it was really cool to see the public come together to to help make sure that she had everything she needs and for her life here. Yeah, that is really awesome. And I think that sense of ownership will go a long way to making people stay connected oh, yeah. to Liana, which is awesome. Um, so you told me a thing that I did not know, uh, which is interesting. I've spent a fair bit of time with sloths, but they can't thermoregulate? Nope. Interesting. Yeah. I'm assuming they are not a cold-blooded animal. Is a sloth secretly a reptile? Oh, my gosh. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> a furry reptile. I can't even fathom that in my brain right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I know, right? That's, um, yeah, I'm such a good Yeah, so. But that's weird. Tell me about this. And how do they compensate? And how is that a thing? So they compensate by just living in the right place. <laughs> um, so, like, for example, our exhibit and her, her space that she stays in has to stay between 75 to 80 degrees. Um, any lower and it's too cold for her, any hotter, and she can't release her heat that well. So she, in an indoor platform, would need constantly regulated temperature, but also constantly re- re- uh, regulated uh, humidity. Um, and that's all because of their digestive system as well. It's not just because they can't thermoregulate. It's also because their stomachs absolutely require those guidelines um, for proper digestion. Uh, So, like, humidity needs to be 60% minimum. Their temperature in the room needs to be 75 to 85. 
if they're in an outdoor platform, they need to have the option for shading or a sunny spot and they need to be somewhat nearby each other. So that way they can easily move to where, whatever they need. If they're a little too hot, they move into the shade. If they're a little too cold, they move into the sun. Um, but for an indoor facility like this, we, we needed to make sure that everything was set up properly so she could, um, or we, so we could keep an eye on, on her temperatures and everything. So that way she would have a healthy gut specifically. That's really interesting. I did not, I did not know that about sloths. Tell me more about just sloth stuff in general, because I don't think we've really gone on a deep dive about sloths on this podcast yet. So, so tell me other fascinating things that people might not know and keep in mind, my listeners, like I do have keeper listeners, but I also have people who know very little about mm-hmm. zoos and animals. So cool. So sloth adaptations is one of my favorite um, things to talk about. So uh, <laughs> you're a nerd. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, my cheeks only slightly hurt from how much I'm geeking out right now. It's true. You can see the <laughs> smile. It's large. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so one thing um, is the way their hair grows. Uh, so, uh, like with us, our hair grows from the top and grows down. Um, it's the same with most mammals. Like, for example, I pull an animal out of the air. We've got elk. Their hair grows up and then out. Um, for sloths, you would think that that would, like, be on their spine. That is incorrect. So their hair actually grows out from their belly and goes towards their back. So it grows the opposite direction, and that's because in the wild, rainwater, this way it can roll right off of them and not seep too much into their fur or on their skin. Uh, so the if you see a sloth when it's hanging upside down, like it traditionally does, you'll see that the hair on the back kind of like makes a little, little divot that sticks out, almost like a little mini mohawk. Like Liana has it all the time. It's her little tufts of fur that are absolutely out of control. Um, <laughs> But if water were to land on her, it can trickle right off of her body instead of staying on her. Um, so that's one really cool thing that I I, I think is interesting with them. Um, but to go along with that, uh, the algae that grows on their fur. So they have an algae that grows on their fur, and it's specific to the environment they're in. So she might not necessarily get that here because we don't have all the same variables here, like bacteria and such. Um, but the mix between the humidity and the variables out in her natural habitat, she would have an algae that grows on her fur. Now, this algae is actually relied on by an insect out there, and it's called the sloth moth. I always have to say it. I have to say it slowly because I have a really bad slur usually when I say it. Um, but the sloth moth highly um, relies on sloths for not only food but shelter. So they will eat that algae off of their body, but they'll also bed down in their fur as well to catch a nap here and there. Uh, so basically, sloths are like their own little ecosystem. <laughs> uh, so they're they're giving back to their own environment, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, now, aside from that, um, their digestive system is pretty cool as well. It's a little strange because you wouldn't expect... Um, uh, an animal of her size to have a similar gut system to like hoof stock. Um, but she does. So she has four chambers in her stomach and that food is going to very slowly make its way through her stomach. So that way she can soak up every bit of nutrients she possibly can. Cause naturally in the wild, the leaves and, and berries and, uh, flowers and twigs and everything that she's going to be trying to consume out there, not very high in nutritional value. Uh, so she 
has a very slow digestive system specifically to try to soak up everything she can. Uh, now that's also part of the reason that they move so slow. So they move really slowly because they can't be burning all that energy before it even has time to like fully make its way into their body. Right. Uh, so it's kind of like they naturally have to move slow and it's for their health. It's not just because they're lazy. Like people like to say they're not lazy. They just naturally are slow movers. And that sometimes happens like turtles and tortoises, for example. Um, so I think their stomach system is pretty cool, but then to go along with that, they only poop like once a week. Now, not all sloths. Um, there is a, some studies out there that say that there are some species that might relieve themselves every two to four days. Um, there are some that go every week. There are some that go a little longer than a week. I've seen a little bit of all of that with Liana. Uh, so when she was younger, it took a lot more energy for her to get down to the ground to relieve herself. So she was maybe going every four days and then it turned into every two days. And then in now that she's up in her new exhibit, maybe once a week, uh, there was one stretch that she only relieved herself once in 10 days. Oh, wow. And I was like, wow, you're very round today. <laughs> it's kind of, I like to compare it to um, after you're done eating Thanksgiving dinner no motivation, very round. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's like a life of a sloth. It's almost <laughs> like the end of their poop schedule is like them after eating Thanksgiving or like us after eating Thanksgiving dinner. Um, but I thought that's pretty silly. Like, because, I mean, if I was only going that often, I would be so full. I would never want to do anything and I'd be very uncomfortable. So I think it's pretty interesting that their bodies can physically handle that. Um, now, they don't, go once a week just because of their digestive system. It's also because of predatory reasons, like going down to the ground. They are a lot more vulnerable because they're not designed to walk on the ground. So they also only go down every so often to keep themselves safe because they're safer up in the trees. Um, but I just kind of love how all of the different adaptations attached to them all connect in some way, I guess. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah. That is really interesting. Yeah. It, it would suck thinking that every time that you were going to poop, you might get killed. So. Right. That'd yeah. be terrifying. Yeah. So vulnerable. Yeah. Wouldn't make like walking into a target bathroom just so much scarier. But I mean, I guess maybe that's where they coined the term like scares the poop out of you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know about that one, but uh, <clears throat> but so tell me about Liana because you 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 um you say she has quite the personality. Yes, yeah. So she very much is a diva. Um, so if she wants to do something, she'll tell you. If she doesn't want to do anything, she will tell you. <laughs> uh, so I love her. I like. I'm 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 slightly obsessed with her, which is funny because I never really saw myself as becoming obsessed um, with a sloth. Uh, however, here I am. Um, but she. So I'm her primary trainer. Um, so the best times that I have with her are when we're training. I see some really silly sides of her, but I also see some sides that make me like remember that she's an animal. Uh, so for example, when I first started target training with her, um, and for those who don't know what target training is, I'm just offering a visual marker that she has to approach. She touches it with her face and she gets a reward which for her is sweet potato, hard-boiled egg, um, or this Zupreme primate mix that she gets. Uh, so 
when we started target training with her, she was still just a wee babe. Um, she was mostly spending her time in a wicker basket um, with her favorite stuffed animal. Uh, but it took so long to get her to target out of that basket because she was just like, mm, 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 no, no, not today. No, thanks. I'm comfy here. Um, and then I started to see her as she grew up get a little bit more brave and she would start to climb out of the basket. Now, I didn't cry. I did cry. I definitely <laughs> cried. Um, but it was really rewarding to see her become more brave because I knew I was helping her get there. Uh, so it was really fun to kind of get to watch her develop, but also myself develop as well. Cause like I said, I'm primarily take care of birds. Uh, so it was a little crazy getting to see the difference in training and the difference in motivation levels. Now, if she's taught me anything, it's patience. Uh, cause not just cause she moves slowly, but because when she doesn't want to, she just doesn't want to. So there are some times that I go to target with her and she does this really silly thing. I'll hold the target up and she'll approach it. She'll make eye contact with me, which she always does right as she's about to touch the target, but she'll try to fake me out now. And she usually does this in front of people. <laughs> um, so she'll hover her nose about like half an inch from the target stick and then just stare at me <laughs> and then open her mouth. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I was asking for. You got to touch it, like touch the target. And then she'll get a little closer. And then look at me and open her mouth. <laughs> I'm like, no, Liana, like you need to touch it. And then she's like, well, fine. You didn't specify how. So she'll stick her tongue out and touch it. <laughs> so she boops it with her tongue all the while making me look so foolish. And I'm just like, well, darn, you're way too cute to be mad at you. Like I shouldn't be rewarding this, but in theory, you touched it. <laughs> You just, you made me work for it harder than you did. And it's really funny sometimes to get to see that. It's just, she's got, she's like, and I, I swear she knows she's funny. Because she'll do that, and then she'll open her mouth for a reward. But I swear she'll have a smile on her face when she's doing it. Like, she's like, ah? Eh? Like, yeah? Yeah, I did good? I'm like, no, but yes, and here, fine, whatever. <laughs> So she definitely keeps me on my toes and she's taught me patience and she's just, she, she's just so funny. And like there are other times that I'll offer the target and she, she'll say no, thank you. And so I'll get a little bit closer with the target to see if I can like kind of build up her motivation by making it a little bit easier for her sometimes. And there's been times I'll literally hold it where she can touch it without moving her body. All she has to do is just turn her head and she'll just keep dead eye contact with me. <laughs> and I swear she'll like roll her eyes and turn her head away from the target stick. And I'm like, well, okay. Like don't try to hide your sass or anything. Like just, <laughs> just tell me how you really feel. And then sometimes I'll do it and she'll just, literally turn her entire body away from me. And I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> so she, she's a handful, but I love her so much. And yes. like, I'm learning so much from her as well. So it's, it's really fun and rewarding all around. That's amazing. Yeah. That's hilarious. Uh, very cool. Very cool. Um, so we are coming towards the end of our time here. Are there any other animals that you wanted to give a specific shout out to any, anything that you just extra adore? Uh, I mean, I said earlier, I'm a crazy bird lady, but if I were to narrow it down, parrots, man, they're, they're, 
they're toddlers and they they keep you on your toes more than anything else. Like I know I said that about Liana, but that's just because she keeps me on my toes because she's different than what I'm used to. But these parrots, they're so smart. And like, for example, the, the sun conures that we used to work with, uh, gosh, I miss them so much. They were a handful, but they were so funny. Like they would dance and they would get really excited to see you. And you don't always get that from animals is that excitement back. Like, like, yes, I get excited to see all my animals every day, but they get excited to see you sometimes. And the parrots definitely showed that. And like, so for our blue and gold macaw and our yellow crowned Amazon, I I just really enjoy seeing them every day because I'll walk in and sometimes before I even get the door fully open, I just hear, hello. And it's Azul saying hi to me. And sometimes she'll just make sounds and we'll suddenly start replicating each other back and forth. And the it's just nonsense coming out of my mouth, but it's a whole lot of fun. And you can see them get excited about that. And so I guess if I was to shout out to any any of the animals I work with here, it would be the parrots. Nice. Because, um, once again, crazy bird lady. Yes. yes. <laughs> and uh, how about any conservation organizations that you would like to give a shout out to as she unfurls a note? I'm impressed. Yeah, I'm calling you out. That's yeah, right. there yeah, it is. No, I'm glad. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, so I've got two. Yeah. Um, one... Uh, would be the Sloth Conservation Foundation. Uh, they are a nonprofit based in Costa Rica, um, and they're they're dedicated to um, protecting wild sloths and human cared for sloths um, in all different types of environments. So I definitely want to give a shout out to them because they do a whole lot of work to help keep these species around. And if I've learned anything um, with how sometimes tricky they are to work with, it's it's a uh, if I could give them a trophy, I would, because I work with one and I've got my hands full. <laughs> um, and then the other one would be the National Audubon Society. And that just spans back to my crazy bird self. Um, so they're a nonprofit that uh, works to protect the uh, wild birds and their habitats that they live in. So if I were to pick two, that would be it. Um, so I'm I'm very passionate about those those two groups in particular. Very cool. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. It's time for the Rock Safari Poop Story. Hit me. <laughs> All right, well, um, I get pooped on quite a lot. So the pooping part isn't necessarily the gross part for me. Um, however... Uh, if I could span away from poop sure. for a moment, um, there was actually a thing that happened about two weeks ago, um, and it wasn't necessarily that the thing that happened was gross. It was that when I looked at it afterwards, it was pretty gross. Um, so I've recently been starting to work with some of our birds of prey, our ambassador ones, um, and there's this one I really love working with. His name is Killian. Uh, he's a red-tailed hawk. And he's really good at sitting on the glove. And uh, I was feeding him some rat chunks the other day. And I made the human error of lowering my hand. So he stepped up towards my arm and grabbed onto my bare skin. Oh, yeah. Um, And his talons sunk right in. He got what we call sticky foot. uh, So he clenched right in there. Um, Yeah. So, but while he was doing that, he was still chewing on that piece of rat. So like some of that was on the open wound, which was super cool and great. So I was like, is that my blood or is that rat blood? (laughs) 
So that's something that happened. But then as soon as he let go, um, there was just like a big gaping hole in my arm. And I should have been a little bit more grossed out, but I was mostly just fascinated at staring inside of it. Um, So I was just like looking into this open hole in my arm and I'm like, hmm, once again, is that my blood or is that rat blood? Uh, So uh, we had to have uh, someone try to get me all cleaned up because I physically was too busy staring at it to clean it up myself. Um, so there's that, um, Amazing. other, the, the, the poop though, I, I get pooped on a lot. I think the, the worst poop thing was there was one time I was cleaning the Scarlet Ibis, uh, stalls and I waterboarded myself by accident with a hose. I shot it right into a corner where they like to poop a lot. And all of it went in my eyes. <laughs> uh, my eyes were wide open and all of it went right in. Uh, so if that's one way to get pink eye, I got it. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for this time. This has been so much fun. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So you know that after that interview, I had to ask if we could go hang out with Hank and Liana and uh, all of the bird friends in Harmony Hideaway. And we did just that. So here is some audio from that visit. And yet there is bird poop everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really pretty in here. Thank you. Yeah. Lots of work. I I know. It's like a whole new, I mean, it is a whole new exhibit. I can't even believe it's the same building. It's like amazing because you put so much work into making it beautiful and then it just gets covered in poo. (laughs) So, So tell me about these little ducks that are here. Oh, yeah. So uh, to your left is Marvin. To your right is Mavis. They are two black-bellied whistling ducks. Uh, So named because they actually do let out a little bit of a whistle. Um, So not the sound that he's making right now, but I could try to coerce him to make it. Marvin! Marvin! Hi, buddy! So he gets more excited and he starts to do these little chirps. Oh, boy! I know, he's such a good boy. Oh boy. So Marvin's our, our oldest duck here. Um, so he move, moves around a little slower than everyone else, but he still takes takes the trophy for the one who gets and requires the most attention, <laughs> mostly just from a social standpoint. Um, he very much likes attention. He's such a sweet little boy. Uh, he actually does duck encounters. Sometimes people, oh, nice. people come in to, to watch him fly around and do some fun stuff with him. Uh, Mavis is his quote-unquote girlfriend. She doesn't pay too much attention. Uh, she always wants to know where he is. But I've had girlfriends that are like that. Always yeah. want to know where I am and don't pay that much attention to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's basically <laughs> Mavis right there. Um, our four ducks that are in the pond right there, those are four Brazilian teals. Uh, those were actually cared for by our our uh, veterinarian, Michelle. Uh, they were living with her for a little while. They just moved in, actually, last week. Nice. Uh, so they're, they're still fresh here. You can tell the males and females apart because males have red beaks and females have the grayish-black beaks. Very cool. Uh, so you can tell them apart that way. And then... Up top are our fun little pink birds here. Uh, those are our scarlet ibis. Now, they're not fully colored yet. Um, right now, their heads are still a little bit more gray. Uh, but once they, ha- once they reach about two years old, they'll probably be fully pink. And they get their color the same way flamingos do. Uh, so from the food they eat. Uh, so the, the krill that they eat, but they also get a waterfowl and flamingo diet. 
um, that helps with the pigment coloration as well. So you can tell they're a little bit younger because they're not fully pink yet, but they're right. getting there. So like right now I can kind of tell them all apart by look, but as soon as they're all pink, I'm going to have to rely on the, their leg bands. Gotcha. Makes sense. And there's our little velociraptors on the <laughs> roof over there. It's time for... Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John again. Just a quick reminder that they don't actually have velociraptors at Elmwood Park Zoo. That's a different park. Uh, Jurassic Park, I believe. Uh, or Jurassic World, if you're keeping up with it all. But um, they're, in fact, sun bitterns. Sun bitterns. You're welcome. Okay, back to this awesome experience. Walking through Harmony Hideaway. They, they blend in a little bit more. These birds are really cool because when they spread their wings, they actually have these reddish-orange dots in their wings, and it's a display behavior they do to kind of deter predators or just anyone being annoying in general. Um, so they do it every now and then to the ibis when the ibis are like, hmm, what are you eating over there? <laughs> uh, so it's pretty cool. Uh, but those are the little guys that make these little velociraptor sounds. Nice. They're pretty cool. Um, Hank is not out here right now. He's in with Liana. Oh. Uh, but he'll be he'll be getting free room of this whole place as well. That's amazing. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let, let's go see Liana. Yeah. Okay. So Liana has a DVD player. <laughs> that is the first thing that I notice. Uh, she's, so, she's watching Sing right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, Liana, there's a sequel coming out. Yeah. Maybe Kara will take you to the movies and you can see it in a theater. Oh my gosh, Probably if not. only. <laughs> How cool would that be? Uh, just uh, admission for two, uh, me and my sloth, please. <laughs> so tell me about, um, why, why is she on the ground? Is she pooping? She doesn't look like she's pooping. Nah, so Liana's just weird. Okay. Um... We haven't quite pinpointed um, why she does this. There's a slight theory. Um, so when she first moved in, we had this heat bench that she's sitting under, and it's specifically made for the tortoise, Hank. Right. Um, now, she believes, because she grew up with Hank, that she might be part tortoise. That makes sense. Um, that's one theory. Theory <laughs> number two is she actually just recently got this UV light set up. Mm-hmm. And she likes UV light, so we think that she kind of started climbing down here because it's on a timer. Okay. Uh, so we would start arriving in the morning, and for a minute we would panic and be like, where is our sloth? Because she's not in her typical basket. Right, right. Um, and then we look down here, and there she was, sharing the heat bench with Hank. That's amazing. Now, share is a stretched term, because every now and then Hank will come over to say hi to her, and she'll be like, oh gosh, never mind, and she'll, in sloth terminology run away right right um uh so we think that even though we got this new uv light fixture she's kind of just like well i really like being down here i mean in theory she doesn't have predators here right but this is definitely not normal um right. so we catch her i like to call her buddha bear sometimes she'll be sitting there with her legs crossed and her arms will be rolled over her very round belly um, and she just kind of sits there looking like she's having deep thoughts. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Not quite sure why she does this regularly, though. Oh, Liana, you're so cute. She's pretty silly. And then there's Hank, the rock star. Yep. He's taking a nap, it appears. Looks like he never made it fully into his house. He's just behind it. Yep. Mm -hmm. He carries his house as his back. <laughs> there you go. 
whatever pleases him. Yeah, right? I don't know. Yeah, so this is the room that her and Hank are going to share at night um, because she is nocturnal. So she'll be hanging out here at night. And then during the day, she'll move out onto exhibit to be with all of her bird friends. Oh, big yawn. Oh, yeah. Her yawns are way too cute. Yeah, that was a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she'll come in here at night so that way she's not stomping all over her bird friends right. who are trying to sleep. That makes sense. Yeah. And she likes DVDs. Oh, yes. It's really cute. Aristocats is her favorite. Okay. Good to know. Um, I've actually witnessed her facing the screen when Aristocats is on sometimes. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what it is about the melodies because most of the DVDs we play for her are have music in them, but mm -hmm. there's something about Aristocats, uh, specifically when there's a lot of piano playing that she just gets infatuated with the screen and she'll just stare at it. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Oh yeah, you can tell. Liana is going to be an absolute star once the public gets to start spending some time with her. What an awesome little sloth and what an amazing visit to Elmwood Park Zoo. Like, you know, always. I'm incredibly grateful to everyone at Elmwood Park Zoo for being my my friend and for helping with the podcast and just for all the good things that that you do for me and and bring into my life. So uh, thank you all from the bottom of my heart. And you can check them out ElmwoodParkZoo.org and at Elmwood Park Zoo on Insta and Facebook and all that stuff. And of course, like I said, you can follow me at Rossafari on all the things and. Um, Tune in for Zoo News on Friday and then next week for uh, some interesting different content on your Tuesday Raw Safari Day. And I also want to say thank you to Lara Shank, my Red Panda level patron on Patreon. You can support the pod, patreon.com slash Safari. And remember, friends, if you are a sloth that wanted to say credits backwards, you would say... Stider. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.